We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We're doing a new series this morning called Fear Not. And to begin with this morning, I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? What is your phobia? Is it arachnophobia? The fear of, what's that, the fear of? Spiders. Uh, What about agoraphobia? Does anyone know what that is? The fear of crowds or being captured. Uh, Claustrophobia, small spaces, fear of small spaces. Acrophobia, that's the fear of of heights, being up in high spaces. What about this one? Hippopotomonstros esquipedaliophobia. (laughs) That is the fear of long words. And I don't know what kind of sadistic person came up with that, but it wasn't someone who fears long words. They didn't sit there and say to themselves, oh, I'm really scared of long words, so I'm going to come up with the longest possible word that I can, hippopotomonstros esquipedaliophobia. You don't know how many times I had to practice that this week. <laughs> That's it. I've got no more content. It's just trying to get that word right. Um, But in this series, Fear Not, we're going to be talking about our fears, and our desire in this series is to bring you freedom through understanding your fears and releasing them to God. Uh, My daughter asked me recently, she said, what's your favorite verse? She wanted to do a Father's Day uh, thing for me, and I find favorite verses a little bit like favorite foods. Uh, What's What do I want today? Today, my favorite food is steak. Tomorrow, it might be lasagna. Who knows? But my favorite verses are a bit like that. So I just went, uh, Isaiah 41 verse 10, which is there. And it says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so God is talking to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah, and he's telling them that there is a direct relation between their understanding of God's presence and help and their level of fear. The more they know him, the less they will fear. So in this series, we were going to encourage you to know God, to find freedom, and to fear not. However, in this series, we aren't focusing on helping you uh, overcome nyctophobia, which is the fear of the dark, or phobophobia, which is the fear of phobias, but we are going to look at some deeper emotional fears that dictate our inner world and our outer actions. When we're young, our focus is on the fears that could cause us physical harm, but as we grow, we notice our other fears underneath the surface that may cause us emotional harm, and we do all we can to avoid them. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at the greatest fears I think people have, if they are really honest. The fear of rejection, the fear of loss, and the fear of failure. So today we begin by looking at the fear of rejection, and if you want to give it a name because we're playing that game, we'll stop after this one, but anthropophobia. Uh, So we'll just stick with the fear of rejection because I'm not even sure I said that one right. So let's see how knowing God might help us not worry so much about others' opinions of us. Let me begin with a would you rather. Would you rather get it right or have everyone agree? Get it right or have everyone agree. Let me give you a scenario. You're in charge of the dinner order. Would you rather get it right, get the thing that actually is the best thing for everybody, 
but people don't agree? Or would you rather have everyone agree but get something that's actually average? Or let's say that you have to make the call on a work project. Would you rather get it right and you know it's the best outcome but people still disagree? Or would you rather have everybody agree even if the outcome turns out to be not so good? Now, if you cannot stand, actually, let's just do a little survey. Who says that they would rather get it right? Anybody get it right, people here? Who says they'd rather have everyone agree? Yeah, a few people? Yeah, nice, cool. Thank you for your honesty. The have everyone agree people didn't want to put their hands up because they didn't want to disagree with everybody else. <laughs> if you cannot stand, though, to get it wrong, then you need to come back when we talk about fear of failure. If you're like, I just cannot get it wrong. If I get it wrong, then there's something wrong with me. If you're worried that others might be upset at a decision that you make, then maybe the fear of rejection is something for you. If you avoid being the person who makes the call because you don't think that you'll get it right or that others will agree with you rather, then you might struggle with the approval of others. The fear of others' opinions and approval is seen in so many ways. In fact, for many of us, the fear of rejection dictates how we think about ourselves, what we say, what we do, and what we don't do. It rules all of our interactions. I remember being 12, and uh, we went fishing with some friends, and they took my family van, and the person uh, driving was... was uh, coming across the Nelson Wharf there. And they were on the concrete section of the wharf, and then they came to a point where it would turn into the wooden part. And they, they stopped the car, and they turned around and looked at me, and they said, hey, look, this is your family vehicle. Um, we could drive over the wharf and get a bit closer, or we could stay here. What do you want to do? That's a lot of pressure to put on a 12-year-old. And a thought went through my head, what if we go onto that part of the wharf Wharf and the, and the van falls through. And another thought, thought went through my head, what's everyone else thinking we should do? Can I take a, a survey? Because I'd rather have everyone agree here. But the interesting thing, I wasn't worried about dying. I wasn't worried about losing the van. If it fell in the water, we'd just jump out and swim. That would have been uh, fine. But I, was I wasn't even that worried about getting it wrong. What I was more worried about is what others would think of me if I got it wrong. I feared rejection. And I remembered being paralyzed in that moment by my fear. And I couldn't make a decision, which ironically made me look like an idiot, which I was trying to avoid in the first place. What about you? Can you see how this might be an issue for you? Here are five statements for you to do a little bit of a self-evaluation. Just think how true these are of you. Here's the first one. When I sense that someone might reject me, I become nervous and anxious. Is that you? Second one. It bothers me when someone is unfriendly to me. The third one. I am basically shy and unsocial. Do you agree with that? The fourth one. I find myself trying to impress others. The fifth one. I always try to determine what people think of me. Is that going on underneath the surface? Can you, can you see? Can you relate? In some way, this fear of rejection affects us all. A lot of it comes back to negative experiences when we were younger. And I want to ask, how was school for you? When I was younger, I kind of went from friendship group to friendship group. 
and had this impression that if I didn't measure up to what they thought was a good, fun person to be with, that I would be rejected. And that sort of thing leaves its mark. Some of us are still telling ourselves the things we were told as kids. Those words are how we think about ourselves. I'm indecisive. I'm a moron. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I never do anything right. And what it all leads to is this belief that we are not an acceptable person because we are not accepted by others. And if you believe that statement and you fear rejection, you can see the results in your life. The first way that you might see this in your life is a rejection of others. These are people who are hard to get to know. It's like they've always got a wall up. You know, if you feel this, you might, I've got a wall up so I can't be hurt. We're really difficult to have conversations with. It's like we say, I'm going to answer your questions with, with one-word answers because if you really cared about me, you'd push through this kind of outer wall that I'm putting up. Or we get angry and aggressive, rejecting others before we can be rejected ourselves. Maybe we've been so hurt by others that we've chosen to shut people out of our world. Yet we should be considerate of others. People are a healthy mirror for us, and they are people we should love and try to get on with. Walking around with a chip on our shoulders or isolating ourselves from others is not a free way to live. So rejection of others is one way we see it. The next thing we might try is to practice avoidance. This is where we stay away from any scenario that might cause others to reject us. It's, it's not just about avoiding other people, but it's about avoiding conflict. We avoid conflict, and in doing so, we avoid the risk of rejection. Instead of showing the good and bad of our true self, we bottle it up inside. Will I be truly honest with you? No, because that might cause you to get angry with me, or I might display who I really am, and if you reject that, I just could not cope with it. Will I confront wrongdoing? No, because you might show that it was actually all my fault to begin with. So we wear a mask to say we're okay when we're not. Steve was a guy everyone liked to be around. He made everyone laugh with his impressions and jovial nature. He was particularly good at Austin Powers impressions. Uh, from the outside, it looked like he was, was happy, but I remember sitting down and talking to Steve one day and saying, you, you, you make everybody laugh, but it seems like you have to be someone else to do it. And he said, yeah, I kind of caught in this trap. Actually, inside, I'm deeply unhappy. He felt more like a circus clown that everyone laughed at, but never felt truly connected with anyone. His life was a mask. He was addicted to their approval, but it led to a deep sense of loneliness. And others might not act the clown, but sometimes we put a mask up. The third thing that we do often is that we people please. Fear of rejection can lead to an addiction to get others' approval. Every action is bent towards making sure that we keep others happy. We can't stand to see others unhappy. To avoid being rejected, we often act contrary to the deeply held beliefs and desires that we have. And if someone says, what do you want for dinner? Oh, I'll just have what you have, want, even if it's not what you want. We get involved in activities that don't interest us because we have to keep the other person happy. It's often seen in teenagers, you know, the peer pressure thing. People being involved with, with drugs or smoking or alcohol just to impress other people. You might even find that you, you're coming to church so others will think you're a good person. But actually at its root, it's not a desire to get to know God. 
It's a desire to impress others. It's a fear of rejection. Rejecting others, avoiding conflict, and people-pleasing are all signs that we struggle with the fear of rejection. Some even use the need for acceptance as a weapon to get others to do what they want. They understand this dynamic going on in someone else. Uh, it's actually a large region social media exists. It plays on this exact thing. So let me ask you this morning, to what extent is this you? Today is a moment to look at your life. Are you living the life you were called to live? Or are you actually acting from an insecure self? You believe you're a valuable person only if you are accepted by others. It's a good moment to acknowledge that is the case and look for change. Why? Because that belief that who we are only comes from what others, others think of us is a lie. It is a lie, it is a lie, it is a lie. Your worth does not come from others' opinions. It's not dictated by their acceptance, uh, by the acceptance of people in your life. You're not held hostage to others' opinions. It needs to be rejected. You need to find freedom. I just want you to imagine for a moment that you could be free from this false belief. You're able to, to love and appreciate people, but not care so much about what they thought about you. You could listen to their negative feedback and make some changes, but not have it destroy you. How good would that be? Free to love, free to give, free to disagree kindly, free to be yourself, however weird and wonderful that is. How do we do that? How do we escape the fear of rejection? Well, this morning, I'm going to read some scripture soon, but I think we're uh, going to hear a, a great story of how that can happen. I'm going to ask Anita Copeland to come and share part of her story that shows the harm of another person's rejection and a way to find freedom. A freedom. Thank you, Anita. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Anita, um, and this is my story. I want you to imagine all the negative things that anyone has ever said to you, whether that be comments about your appearance, your personality, or your ability. How did these comments make you feel? Stupid, worthless, unlovable? Now I want you to imagine having to hear these negative words every single day from your own mother. In 1976, I was given up for adoption and taken in by my adoptive parents when I was three weeks old. From a young age, I adored my father, but my relationship with my mother has always been a difficult one. I have always struggled with rejection due to my family circumstances. And the purpose for me sharing part of my testimony is to show how I've overcome the fear of rejection and forgiveness and knowing who I am and Christ has set me free. I spent my whole life walking on eggshells, never knowing what kind of mood my mother would be in. I, I constantly tried to please her, which never seemed to be successful. She could turn from fun to furious within seconds, and when she was furious, she had superhuman strength that led to large objects being thrown, as well as being slapped, kicked, and scratched. While all of this seems pretty extreme, the bruises and the cuts healed with time. However, the mental abuse was far more damaging than the physical abuse. Being told that you're fat and ugly, unwanted, and will never amount to anything, 
took a long time to heal from any physical mark she left on me. Even through all of this, I was a believer from a very early age and I would often pray to God for protection and for him to be my friend. I was desperate to leave home and start living my life without being controlled by my mother. Even though I had no physical control, even though she had no physical control over me, she still had a mental hold. I spent a lot of my adulthood trying to please her and earn her love and acceptance, but she continued to manipulate me and abuse me through her words. I think one of the worst times um, was when my eldest daughter, Ella, was two. I was severely depressed um, as we were having trouble conceiving our second child, Laura. My mother waited for my husband, Sheldon, to leave the room before saying in a tone that sent chills up my spine, have you told your doctor that you're not coping with being a mother? This was a time in my life when I needed my mother's support more than anything, but instead I was criticised and I felt that I'd been kicked at my lowest. I spent thousands of dollars on all kinds of therapy trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I often felt like no one understood me and maybe it was all in my head. A pivotal moment for me was stumbling across a book in the library about narcissistic mothers. I was amazed at how similar my experiences were to the ones being described in the book. And I finally realised it wasn't me, it was my mother. After reading this book and a lot more research and experience with narcissism, it took 10 more years to leave this narcissistic relationship, proving how hard it is to break free, especially being a people pleaser who wanted nothing more than my mother's love and acceptance. In February 2022, I decided to send her a letter confronting her about all the things that she had done to me through, through my life. I gave her an opportunity to take responsibility for her actions and give her a chance to repair our relationship. But all I received were excuses and the whole situation being blamed on me. At that point, I realised she was incapable of change and I made the very difficult decision of cutting her out of my life to protect my mental well-being. I have not seen or spoken to her for two years and I honestly feel like I've been set free. As I mentioned earlier, I really struggle with this idea of rejection, as I feel I've been rejected twice, once by my birth mother and then by my adopted mother. So what could I have possibly learned through all of this? Um, I have learned that I have a God who loves me unconditionally and we do not have to earn his love and acceptance. Although I don't have a relationship with my mother anymore, I've been blessed with an amazing relationship with my husband and my two girls who accept me for who I am. This shows me that it is possible to break the cycle of abuse and my mission in life is to be the best mum that I can be to my two girls. With God's help, I've been able to properly forgive my mother, let go of the anger and bitterness towards her. I pray for her regularly and I hope that she's doing well, but know that I cannot have a relationship with her until there's a change in her mindset. Forgiveness is a choice, and God always forgives us, and he commands us to give, forgive others. A verse in the Bible that's always stood by me is Psalms 139, 13 to 15. For you created me in my inmost being, you knit together me in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. No matter our family circumstances or our circumstances in general, we were planned and made by God in his image 
He loves us unconditionally, and in the end, that's all that matters. Yeah, thank you, Anita. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that amazing? We are honoured to hear part of your story. That is uh, so helpful for, for us wherever we're at, in big ways and small ways. There are two things that Anita said that we all need. If we are to find freedom from others' opinions, there are two things we need to do. Number one, give forgiveness. The way to freedom from the words and actions of others in the past is to let them go. Ephesians 4, 31-32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviour. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Forgiveness is the ultimate Christian activity. As we graciously release others from what they've done, we emulate Christ and we find freedom. Oftentimes, forgiveness is the first step towards reconciliation, but not always. There are times when it's not possible or a past relationship is so destructive, we need to remove ourselves from that relationship. But we can still forgive. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they deserve your forgiveness. It means letting go of your need for an apology. In doing so, finding a way to be tender-hearted again and kind to others. Not being dictated by what they have said or done, but walking free from bitterness, rage, and anger. Would you describe yourself as a tender-hearted person? Would the people in your life say that you are? If not, can I ask you this morning, who do you need to forgive? Maybe it was a bully from school. Maybe it is your parent. Can you let it go and stop letting that person's words from the past dictate your life today? their words and actions no longer hurt you, then you do not need to fear not only their words, but the words of others and the actions of others today. So the first thing we need to do is we need to give acceptance. And then the second thing is that we need to find acceptance in God. Second thing we must do is establish a secure identity within ourselves. And the only way I know how to do that is to find that identity in God. Our identity will always be fragile if it is based on our achievements, our positions, or our possessions, or even our character. But if we know the one who created us and who redeemed us, then we will not need the fear of rejection of others. We're accepted by the one who knows us fully and loves us fully. I mean, many people try to find this within themselves, right? But what they find in that process is that actually within themselves, there is just too much brokenness to base their identity just on themselves. It has to come from an outside source. And if that outside source is bringing you rejection, then you have this insecure self. So you need to find it in a secure place. And that is God. Your God who made you, who loves you, who redeemed you. And if we can do that, we will get to the same place as the Apostle Paul. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, I, I couldn't care less if I'm judged 
by you or by any human court. I don't even judge myself. Uh, I'll read it as it is up there. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. Verse 4. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It's the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. He says, look, it's not just about what others say. I'm not worried about their opinions. I couldn't care less. I just care about what God thinks, the good and the bad. I trust his judgment. I'm not afraid of it because I know it's true, but I also know it's loving. We need to remove the lies others have spoken over us and plant the truth of the way God sees us like a seed in the soil of our hearts. What truth? The truth that through Jesus, we are completely acceptable to God. Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says this. It says, it includes you. You were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Being a Christian is much more than being part of a religion. It's about having a life-giving relationship with God. It comes from, completely from the work of Jesus. We move from being his enemies to being welcomed into his presence. No matter what you've done, God still sees you as blameless if you accept the forgiveness of Jesus. And even today, if you say, look, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but there are things in my life that I just can't forgive myself about, you need to receive that. Because that uh, lack of receptiveness towards this truth will change the way that you do relationships. You will fear rejection if you still think you're unacceptable to God. But if you can embrace the truth that I am completely accepted by God, I stand before him blameless, then it doesn't matter what else people say. I can accept the good and the bad because I know the, the depths of my heart that I am free I am accepted. I am loved. Fear not others' opinions. You have a relationship that defines you. 1 John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. We are his children. You know, as parents, the greatest thing we can do is remind our kids often that they are lovable people. Even if we discipline them, we correct them or coach them, it's not because we don't accept them. They are ours. We love them. And we think they're amazing. We were planned and made by God in his image, and he loves us unconditionally. And in the end, that's all that matters, right? We are God's children. What a secure place to be. That's our identity. See, I think it's time for some of us to change the voices in our head. The next time you hear a voice that says you're not good enough, that you have to try harder, that you've failed, that no one likes you, that you're unlovable, ask a simple question. Is this the voice of God? And if it's not, change it. 
And if it is, if God is confronting you with your failure, then draw close to him and watch him bring his love and change into that situation. And if it's not, ask God to renew your mind. Change the script. Instead of, will this person reject me? We need to hear, I'm loved, so I can handle life regardless of what others think of me. The glory of the gospel, right? This is what Jesus has won. This is what this is all about, about knowing the transformation of his love. This revelation changes everything. It brings freedom. It means I can love more easily. I can worry less. I can be free. It means I can do great things, not to impress others, but so God can come and change the world through me, and I can live to please him. We need revelation of who God is and what he thinks of us. If we could see ourselves through his eyes, we would never need to look in the mirror again. Because his is the reflection that we trust. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.